Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. Here's a change of schedule. Beginning April 29th until June 17th, we will be meeting at 8.30 a.m., 9.45 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 12.45 p.m. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. So, you guys remember the fun teachers that you've had? For me, uh, it was Mr. Eckerson. He was my 10th grade English teacher, and he had just come back after taking a few years off from teaching so he could tour the country with his punk rock band. And so when I stepped into that classroom as a 15-year-old, he was the coolest person I had ever met at that point, right? And he made English fun. Like, he would bring in his guitar, and he'd put poetry to music, and he'd give us these exciting assignments and creative ways to learn these things. And so he was a good teacher, and he made it really, really fun, which in my opinion is the absolute best combination of these things. Uh, today, you know, you guys, you guys have probably had your fun teachers, right? You, you guys know what I'm talking about. You've had your Mr. Eckersons. Today, we are not talking about the fun teachers. Sorry. Uh, I wish I wish we were. We, uh, we're in this series, Is Anybody Out There? And we've been exploring the different ways that God communicates with us and how he communicates through his word and through desires that he gives us and through opening and closing doors and people he puts in our lives. And these are the fun teachers. These are the fun ways to hear from God. Uh, but of course, you know that you don't have to be a fun teacher to be an effective teacher, right? In fact, some of the best teachers that I've had were not fun at all. Like, they were the teachers that I just did not want to go to their class at all, and I wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. I just wanted to get through it, and yet they effectively were able to drill into my head certain things. They were effective teachers. And today we're going to be talking about the not-so-fun but effective teacher that is pain and suffering. Pain and suffering uh, can be powerful tools that God uses to communicate to us. And in the same way as the, the not-so-fun teachers, uh, pain and suffering, a lot of times they teach us whether we want it to learn or not, right? Like we just have to like sit through it and we endure and it turns out we learn something along the way, right? And, and if we went around the room, if I were to ask you guys, most of you would probably have stories in your life where you went through seasons that were really difficult, really painful. And looking back on it, you're actually, you're kind of grateful for those seasons because of what you've learned from it right? You've had these, these lessons that came through pain and suffering that you are grateful you now learned, even if you might have learned it reluctantly at the time. But how much more effective would it be if we were able to go into these seasons of pain and suffering, these uh, inevitable seasons of pain and suffering, listening? Like if we went in with notepads open, pens ready, ears, you know, ready to hear what God has to communicate, how much more would we learn from these not so fun but effective teachers if we went in ready to learn, listening, and how much more effective would we be able to hear what they're saying if we knew what to be listening for? And so today, as we talk about pain and suffering, we're not going to talk about it as uh, an idea for like defending why it happens or an apologetic for it or anything. We're going to be focusing specifically on four different messages that God may be communicating through the pain and suffering we experience in our life. And we're going to have Peter kind of guide us through this. So I'd love for you guys to open up a Bible to First Peter chapter 4. 
You can use one of the, the Bibles in the seats in front of you if you don't have one, uh, or you can do it on a phone or tablet, whatever you got there. I'm going to go to 1 Peter chapter 4. And just to give you a little context, this is written by Peter, as in St. Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, which meant he was a close friend of Jesus throughout his ministry, and he was a protege of Jesus. And after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter was one of the, the apostles who Jesus sent out to start this thing called the church. And things have been going pretty well over the last 30 years for Peter and the church in the sense that the church has been spreading. It's been going east and west and north and south, and it's getting bigger and bigger. And yet, at the same time, as it continues to grow, the opposition to, to the church was also growing. And so Peter is writing this letter to a group of Christians and churches scattered throughout what is modern-day Turkey. And these Christians, they were enduring some real suffering and persecution because of the name of Jesus. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage them to keep, to keep going in what they're doing. And he starts in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. I love that. He says, don't be surprised at these ordeals, as if something strange was happening right? He, he, I think it's easy for us as Christians sometimes to think like, well, now I'm a Christian. Now God is going to kind of protect me and insulate me from experiencing any more pain in life. And yet that, that has never been the message in the Bible. Uh, Peter says, don't be surprised. Fiery ordeals, they're going to come for sure, right? There's a lot of TV preachers who make a lot of money saying that like, hey, if you do good and you give God your money, he's going to protect you from suffering. That's not in the Bible, all right? He says, don't be surprised. It's coming. And then he says, rejoice in verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then verse 14, he says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter says there's a kind of suffering that comes with obedience to Jesus. This may sound counterintuitive because when I obey, I want a cookie, not a spanking, right? And, and yet here he's saying, if you obey Jesus, there will come suffering because of that. And what we need to remember is that we still live on earth. We're not in heaven. And while we're here on earth, we live in hostile territory. There are, there are spiritual forces of evil that aren't just at work in this world, but they like rule and reign in this world. And I know for some of you, you're, you're still working out this whole Christian thing. You're not sure what you believe or not. And you might hear like the idea of demons and devils and you're like, ah, is, I can't get behind that. But even if, if you struggle with the idea of there being like personalities, like forces behind this, you can at least recognize that evil has had a, a persistence throughout history, right? Like it just keeps popping up. No matter what we do, no matter how much society improves in certain ways, evil just keeps rearing its ugly head. It's persistent. We live in a world where evil is a force. And every time you do the right thing, like every time you obey God, you are forming this mini rebellion against the forces of evil. You're staging a coup against these forces, and you're setting yourself up as the enemy of evil. You are, you're officially the enemy of evil every time you obey and you submit to God. And the, the forces of evil don't like that, and they want to make you pay. <laughs> they do want to punish you for rebelling against them and trusting in God, and they do. And Peter says that this is actually something to rejoice in. 
which is weird. But I think the reason why isn't because pain is somehow pleasant, all right? If, if you find pain pleasant and enjoyable, that's a whole other problem. We'll talk about that another day. Uh, but the reason Peter says we can rejoice in this is, is precisely because of the message that God is communicating to us through this kind of pain. And we see this very clearly in a, a story from Peter's life that's recorded in Acts 5. So in Acts 5, uh, you don't have to turn there, uh, but in Acts 5, we're told that the apostles were out and they were preaching about Jesus one day. And all of a sudden they were arrested and they were brought before this ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is like, you guys, you guys got to shut up. Stop talking about Jesus, all right? And then to really send the message home, they had the apostles whipped. I've never been whipped before, but I imagine it's not a pleasant experience, right? It sounds pretty painful. Uh, but look how the apostles respond to this. In Acts 5.41, it says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus, that is. And here is where, where we see the message that God is communicating to us through this kind of suffering. He's communicating to you, keep it up. <laughs> keep it up. You're doing, you're doing great work here, right? He's saying, you're, you're out here and you're experiencing this, not because I've, I've alienated, alienated you or abandoned you or anything like that. I'm, I'm putting you out here in the front lines because I think you can handle it. Because because you are the faithful, you are the strong. And so as we experience this, this kind of suffering, God's saying, keep it up. Keep fighting the good fight. You're doing good work. Like, you guys ever play uh, any of those strategic board games like Monopoly or, or Settlers of Catan? Any Catan folks? We should talk Catan people. Uh, so if you're playing one of these strategy board games and you're playing with a group of people and uh, every time you try to make a trade or you're, you're kind of negotiating with somebody, they just keep giving you whatever you want. Like they don't really fight any of the things that you're trying to do. It can mean one of two things. It can either mean they're, they're setting you up for a trap or it means they just don't see you as a threat, right? They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll, you, oh, you want that? Yeah, sure, take it, take it, take it. Because they don't, they don't actually think you have a, a chance of doing damage to their end game, right? And I think the same is true with these spiritual forces of evil, that they, they don't waste time persecuting us when, you know what, you're not a threat anyway. But, but if you're out there and you're pushing back the forces of darkness and you're ushering in the kingdom of God in obedience to him, then, then you're putting a target on your back. They see you as a threat, as an enemy, and they will attack. And God, God actually allows this to happen, not because he doesn't like you, but because he says, you know what? You're doing good work. You can handle this. I know who you are, and you can do this. Keep up the good work. Keep fighting the good fight. Now, one disclaimer with this, because years ago when I was in college, uh, I... I remember getting into an argument with some friends of mine, and they are not believers, and it was a controversial topic, and we started shouting and getting angry with each other. I remember leaving that feeling very deflated and, and kind of hurt by the experience, and I went back to my dorm room, and I was reading, and I was reading in Matthew 5 where Jesus says something very similar. He says, uh, you're blessed. Blessed are you when people persecute you for my name, and I said, you know what? I'm suffering for Jesus, and I patted myself on the back and kind of, uh, you know, felt good about it. And then shortly after that, I began to realize I wasn't suffering for Jesus. I was suffering because 
I was being a jerk. <laughs> like, I was insensitive and offensive and mean, and I, I wasn't actually suffering for Jesus. I was suffering because I was being a jerk, and I, I've seen so many Christians kind of go out and attack people and have, you know, this mean attitude and be judgmental, and, and then when they, you know, face any opposition from other people, they, they're like, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. And it's like, no, you're suffering because you're making bad decisions, <laughs> right? Uh, so there's just a, a small little caveat to that to, to just honestly assess where we're at because there is a kind of suffering that comes when we're doing what is good, but there's also a kind of suffering that comes when we're doing something bad, right? And this is the, the second message that we see here in Peter is God might be saying, stop it, <laughs> right? Look at uh, verse 15. He says, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal criminal or even as a meddler. He says there's a kind of suffering that comes because you're doing life wrong. You're, you're a criminal or you're a meddler or you're whatever. There are times where God allows us to suffer because he's actually trying to say, stop it. And there is nothing like pain to get the message across, we need to stop doing this, right? I know this wouldn't fly anymore, but when I was growing up, in my living room, we had this, this large metal box and it had kind of sharp corners on it and it was hard as steel. In fact, it might have been steel. It might have been, or maybe iron, I, I forget. Uh, steel iron box jutting out into the middle of the living room where we would play as kids. And there was never any like padding on the corners or anything like that. We didn't bother with that. And to make it even worse, this metal box would reach temperatures of like three or 400 degrees. It would be burning hot because of course it was a wood stove. Uh, so this is, this is the actual model that we have. This isn't the, the one that was in my living room, but this is the, the same model of the death trap that was in my living room. And I'm sure there were times when I was a kid where my parents said, be careful around the wood stove. If you touch it, you're going to get hurt. Stay away from it. I'm sure all of those lessons were taught. I don't remember any of them. What I do remember is touching it. <laughs> and guess what? I never wanted to touch it again after that, right? There are, there are some lessons that pain is really, really good at teaching us, especially when it's communicating, stop. You're doing something that's going to hurt you or hurt others. This week, I was uh, reading about this girl. Her name is Gabby Gingris, and uh, she's a young woman now, but uh, she has this, this rare condition where she feels absolutely no pain. And when she was a baby, she would chew on her fingers to the point where they, they became raw. And her parents eventually had to pull her teeth out because she was, she was chewing on her tongue. She would have chewed her own tongue off because she couldn't feel the pain. And she's actually, she's blind in one eye now because at one point she started poking at her eye and she didn't know when to stop. And she poked her own eye out because she couldn't feel the pain saying, stop it. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. Pain is a gift in this way. God often allows us to deal with the pain of our decisions, not because he's trying to punish us, not because he's trying to, you know, beat you down, but because we learn through this pain when we need to stop making these bad decisions. And you might be experiencing pain right now, and it's not just physical pain that does this. Even emotional pain can teach us there's something out of place here. Take uh, anxiety, for instance. I've dealt with anxiety at different points in my life. And when I was in the depths of, you know, some of my most anxious moments, my prayer to God was always, God, take away this feeling. This hurts. I don't like it. Take it away. And yet, I believe it was God who was 
making me feel this way. God was actually giving me the anxiety because he was trying to let me know something's out of place in my heart. And it was because of that anxiety that I began to investigate what was wrong, what was out of place. And I began to learn that my, my whole idea of self-worth and all of that was way out of whack. And I, I was putting my self-worth in shaky things like my performance and my, my achievement and everything like that. And, and God was able to work through that anxiety to say, Trevor, if you keep going like this, you're going to keep hurting yourself and you're going to keep hurting others. And that anxiety was a gift. And maybe for you, you're, you're here today and, you know, your feeling is, why is it that people keep letting me down? I feel like every time I get close to somebody, they, they just kind of pull away. Or every time I'm part of a group of people, I feel like I'm the odd man out. And, and you pray, God, God, can you just, you know, bring some good friends into my life, people who love me for me. And, and maybe, just maybe, God has you in this place and he's going to keep you in this place because you're not a very good friend. Like maybe you're self-absorbed and manipulative and you use people and God's like, no, I'm actually going to keep this. I'm going to let you feel this pain because I want you to see something's out of place. I want you to fix this. You need to stop. Or, or maybe for you, you, uh, you look out and it seems like everybody around you keeps moving forward in life and achieving more and more. But for you, you just feel stuck. You cry out to God and you're like, God, can I catch a break? Like, when's it going to be my turn? Maybe God has you in this place. He has you experiencing that feeling of pain and anxiousness, not because he's, he doesn't love you or he wants to hurt you. Maybe he has you there because he recognizes that achievement is such an idol for you, such an idol that if you, if you actually get the promotion with the prestige and the paycheck, you will completely lose yourself in it. And what he's trying to do is actually get you to work on this heart stuff. Or maybe you're here today and you're not even sure about this whole Christian thing and you're here because, you know, you've just been experiencing one painful thing after another lately and you don't know what else to do. So you're like, I'm going to come to church. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll find something there. But perhaps God is disrupting your life. Perhaps he is allowing this pain and this discomfort and this frustration because he loves you too much to let you keep going through this life without him. He says, I love you too much to let you keep doing this without me. I want you to know me. I want you to know how much I love you. And so in his love for you, in an act of mercy, it's a severe mercy, but in an act of mercy, he lets us feel pain to let us know something's out of place. What is God teaching you in your pain? What are, what are the recurring pains that you feel in your life, the things that keep coming back over and over and over again? Because maybe God's trying to tell you something through these situations. Something's out of place. Something in your heart is, is off. The affections of your heart are att attached to the wrong thing sometimes. What is God trying to communicate to you? I, I think one of the biggest mistakes we can make when we're experiencing this kind of pain is we plead with God, right? We plead, God, oh, can you, can you just take this away? And then we try to numb the pain, right, through entertainment and busyness and substances or whatever. Meanwhile, God is, God is the one who's put this pain in our life because he's, he's trying to communicate to you something's wrong. Are we listening, right? So with these, these first two messages, uh, obviously you don't hear these messages through every pain, right? You can't hear both of them simultaneously, actually. They're kind of mutually exclusive. Sometimes God might be saying, keep going. Sometimes he might be saying, stop, right? And sometimes he might not be saying either of these. 
right? There, there are some pain, some types of pain that it doesn't seem it fits in either of these categories, right? Things like natural disasters or uh, chronic illness or birth defects or cancer, you know, things like this that were like, you know, it, it's not, he's not saying I'm doing a good job through this and he's not saying that I need to stop something. This is just something that happened. But these next two messages, messages three and four, I think we can hear through all of our pain, every painful situation, if we're willing to listen, all right? It's a big if, but if we're willing to listen for it, I think we can hear God communicate these next two things in our pain and suffering. And the third message is that this is what you've been saved from. Look at verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? He, he says here, hey, Christian, right? And he is, he is speaking specifically to Christians in this context. And I know uh, not everyone in this room, you, you probably don't consider yourself a Christian, but, but still I think what he has to say is valuable for all of us. He says Christian especially, Praise God that you bear the name because he says that there, there's a time for judgment that's happening right now. And the, the Greek word that's translated judgment here, krina, it doesn't mean judgment in the sense of condemnation or punishment. Uh, there's a different Greek word for that. It means judgment in the sense of evaluation, right? It's uh, like he, he started off this passage. He says, there is a fiery ordeal that is sent to test us, right? And we're experiencing this sort of testing, evaluation, judgment right now where our, our faith is being tested through these fiery trials, fiery ordeals, he calls them. And he says, you guys, you guys feel the pain of these fiery ordeals. You know that pain. He says, can you imagine what it would be like if we didn't belong to Christ? Because our, our current suffering, our current fiery ordeals does give us a glimpse of what it would be like if we, if we didn't know Jesus at all gives us a glimpse of what we have been saved from. Because every week here, uh, or almost every week, we come to the table of communion, right? And as Christians, when we come to the table of communion, we say, you know, Jesus died for my sins. He took the punishment from my sin so that I don't have to experience that punishment from God, that alienation from God that would amount to unending pain and suffering forever, right? We, we acknowledge that almost every week when we come to the table of communion. But does that ever feel like just an idea to you? Like, it's true, you believe it, but it doesn't feel that real. Like, we say, Jesus died for my sins, but it just doesn't feel that remarkable. Am I the only one who kind of uh, feels this way at times that, yeah, I believe it, but it just doesn't feel very real. It doesn't affect me. Because there's some messages, some uh, experiences that words alone can't communicate very well. Like, Imagine if I never ate an apple before. I've never had an apple. I've never taken a bite into it. Uh, and I were to ask you, can, you, can you explain to me, what does an apple taste like? Help me out. What, how would you describe it? An onion. An onion. Okay. Uh, and because of what? What about it is like an onion? They taste they... <laughs> What sort of apples are you feeding him? <laughs> Uh, they do have a similar texture, uh, but what, what are some other words you use to describe an apple, how it tastes? Yeah, Sammy. 
I, I can't hear you. Huh? <laughs> what else? What, what are, it's sweet, right? What else would you use? Juicy, right? Uh, crisp, right? Uh, and we use all these, these words that we're, we're all familiar with, right? But imagine, imagine if I'd never tasted anything sweet before, all right? If I had no category for sweet, how would you explain sweet to me? What does sweet taste like? Can you even use words to describe an experience that you've never had before? Because sometimes words, they fail us, right? But when we have similar experiences, then we can start to imagine. We can get a glimpse of what something is like. And it is uh, in our, our pain and our suffering that we can actually get a glimpse of what the, the punishment of our sin, the punishment that we deserve for our sin, we get a glimpse of what that would actually be like when we experience pain and suffering now. I know this isn't like the most pleasant way to think about it, but the times where we hurt now, they give us just a foretaste. And it is just a taste, but it gives us a, a foretaste of what our, our forever future could have been, right? Imagine if we didn't know Jesus. Imagine if that was our forever future, like it was never going to let up. You know that feeling of pain. Right? I remember about 10 years ago, I was on a plane heading from Chicago to New York because I just found out that my mom was in an accident. She was fighting for her life. And just as the plane was about to take off, I pulled out my phone to, to shut it off. And in that moment, I got the call from my dad saying that she didn't make it. And uh, just so you know, on a plane full of people when the, the door is already shut, not an appropriate time for an emotional outburst. <laughs> uh, scares people. Um, but then I was trapped in this plane for the next two hours and I was alone, you know, in this crowd of people that I didn't know cut off from everybody that I do know and everybody who loves me. And I remember that feeling, that two hours as I was processing what, you know, at that time was the most intense grief and pain that I had ever experienced. And I hated it. I hated every second of it. I wanted it to go away. And yet that very pain, that experience of pain, that was supposed to be my forever future because of my sin, because of my rebellion against God. That was supposed to be my forever, <laughs> not just a, a passing moment, not something that I would ever heal from or ever get over. That was supposed to be my forever. And thank God it's not. Like, I'm going to experience stuff like that. I might even experience, I know some of you have experienced worse things than that in this life. And yet, our future is not going to be that anymore, which is amazing. But it, it so quickly becomes an idea. And, and here's why I think pain and suffering in this way, if we're listening for this message, can be so helpful. Because if, if, the, uh, if the thing that we're saved from, right, if the thing that we're saved from is reduced to just an abstract idea, then the joy of our salvation also is reduced to an abstract idea. You guys have experienced this, right? If, if what we are actually saved from, if that's just an idea, then the joy also is just an idea, an elusive idea that we can't really cling to. It's as if, if you went to the doctor and you found out you had a cold and he said, come back to me this time tomorrow. And you came back and he gave you a pill and he said, take this. And immediately the cold was gone. You'd be like, oh man, that was awesome. But imagine if you went to the doctor and he said, you, you have a terminal illness and you only have a few weeks to live. 
He says, come back to me this time tomorrow. And you come back next day, and he gives you that magic pill, and you take it, and you're cured in an instant, all right? And it's taken away. Would you not have so much more joy in the second scenario than the first? Because there is a connection between the dread of what could have been to the joy of what now is. And sometimes I know we don't want to talk about what could have been because it's not pleasant. But in the midst of our pain, we get a glimpse. We actually get this small little picture of what could have been, how terrible it is. Because we know, viscerally, we feel it. This would be awful. And thank God, this is not my forever future anymore. Like, isn't it, isn't it kind of funny? I, I feel this way kind of sometimes. That as Christians, we get more excited when God will find us a new job or a new romantic partner, even when he like, finds us a parking spot, we'll get more joy and satisfaction from that than the fact that he saved us from eternal suffering, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't produce that kind of joy because, because it keeps getting reduced back down to just an idea. It's a true idea. It's an idea we believe, but it, it's just an idea, and I think if, if we're willing and if we're brave enough, because it takes some bravery to listen to this message in your pain, because pain sucks, it hurts. But if we're willing to listen, I think we can hear God say, hey, hey, Trevor, this, this is what I saved you from. The fourth message, and we'll, we'll close with this one, is God will tell us, I love you this much in our pain if we listen for it. We've all experienced pain in different ways, uh, and it's not worth comparing, but the most painful experience you've ever had is the most painful experience you've ever had, right? It's the most painful thing you've ever endured. And if you're like me, when you were in those moments, you would do anything if you could just make it go away. Like if you had the power to just snap your fingers and make it go away, would you not take advantage of that? And yet, as we we just recognize, there is a, a truth to the fact that we do deserve this, that this is because of our rebellion against God that we feel this kind of pain. And yet, there is one who actually had the power to snap his fingers and avoid all pain and suffering. Never, never even have to taste it. Wouldn't even know what it is. You wouldn't even be able to describe it to him if you had all the words in the English language. Never had to know pain. And he was the only one who never did anything to deserve it. He was perfect in every way. And yet Jesus didn't use his power or his privilege to avoid pain. Instead, because he loves you, he entered in and he experienced that pain. And we, we talk about it sometimes, like Jesus knows how we're feeling, but it also works the other way. Peter here, he, he talks about it as us participating in his suffering. That when we suffer, we actually get a glimpse of how much Jesus loves us. We get a glimpse of what he endured for us. Because when he was hanging on that cross, he, he felt the heights of every physical pain and he felt the depths of every emotional pain. He endured hell for us. And when we hurt, when we really hurt, we get a sense, of, oh my goodness, this is what Jesus felt? This is, this is how much he loves me? This is what he would choose to endure for me? Who would do that? Praise God that we have a, a king who loves us like this. As we wrap up, I, I just want to recite a, an excerpt from a poem. I know it will be difficult. To run and hide is typical. But my king died like a criminal. 
spent three days in some liminal space in utter disgrace as the father turned his face away. And it hurt like hell. And you know he asked if this glass of God's wrath could pass him, but alas, the passion is the path dad was asking. And it doesn't make no easy sense. He followed in obedience so seedy men could be with them, redeemed from sin and freed again. I know Satan, that infernal beast may try to shake this internal peace, but I will cling to grace and I will finish the race Then I will take my place at that eternal feast. As the band comes up, let me pray for us. Father, you're incredible. And we don't deserve the love and grace that you pour out upon us. And God, there's times where the stuff we face in life, it just hurts, it really hurts. But I pray that even in that, we'll be able to have ears that are attentive to what you are communicating through that pain. How much you love us. What you've saved us from. It will be uh, wise and discerning to know when you're saying, keep going, you're doing great. When you're saying, stop, this is, this is hurting you. God, in all this, I pray that we will be able to live in such a way where we're honoring and glorifying you in all we do and all we say. In Jesus' name.